1: the evil sorcerer wizard powers the engine of science, seeking to forever alter the sacred balance, traveling on effervescent
2: balls of summer fire.
0: This week, Star Trek Nemesis.
1: 2002 the romulans thought darkness was their ally but the remans were born in the back
0: what what was that take off the mask. not not, That's not like,
2: going... it's huh? like an opening to a clone wars episode
0: <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense yeah yeah bane's a little more clone warny, but we're not going with bane today we're going with a little bit of a uh, tom hardy but is it feel, it's surprisingly a proto bane yeah yeah they should have given shins <laughs> on I a remembered. mask they should have given shins on a mask um yes we are here today for uh star trek nemesis we are completing our run of the uh i guess classic star trek films yeah wow <laughs> amazing yeah so um of course listen it's weird it's like the little movie i i always want to love you know <laughs> i'm not sure i do i'm just saying i always want to like a little puppy of a movie so a baby bear of a movie <laughs> <laughs> for me i hadn't seen it
1: since i saw it when it came out and i think in the intervening years people have told me it was bad so many times i'd started to believe it sorry <laughs> it's, <all right>. <laughs> it's, it's just fine
0: <laughs> anyway um I'll, I'll give a little i'll give a little story um as we mentioned now on the podcast several times i, I had a few hospital weeks i read a lot of star trek novels i read the complete a time to series leading up to nemesis um they all were probably might have made better but they would have made better two-part episodes and then nemesis made a movie let's put it that way (laughs) and uh we have relatively prolific star trek author he wrote two of the a time to books hello dayton ward thanks for joining us today
2: well thanks for having me guys
0: and um, sorry, I, I used to perform, you know, the bird song like at open mics and stuff. Right. So the mm-hmm. lyrics are there, but I I can't parse out the two that you wrote now because it's all a time to something, a time oh, to something. Um,
2: time to sow and time to harvest. And I I, um, I wrote those with my frequent writing partner, Kevin Dilmore.
0: I was kind of curious, how does that process work? Um, I, I, I'm a teacher and I. I can't handle team teaching, so.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, uh, as we tell people, that was the project that basically pulled Kevin and me from the minor leagues up to the, you know, starting lineup on the major league team. We were kind of in the farm league before that. Um, so this is like late 2002 is when we started talking about it. So right after Nemesis had hit theaters and then vanished, you know, very, very quickly after hitting theaters, it sort of gone maybe not that fast but it didn't last very long compared to the other ones um so they had this idea of of doing what was then going to be a 12 book series that would bridge the events of insurrection and nemesis so 12 books two books each written by a writer or or one author um they finally scaled that back to nine books And, um, the author that they had tapped originally for the third and fourth books had to step away from the project. So the editor at the time, John Ordover called Kevin and me and asked if we were interested in filling in this gap in the, in the, in the project schedule. And so we very hastily wrote an outline for what was going to be the two books over that Christmas and new year holiday period, 2002 into 2003. And um, his edict to us at the time was: "All right, the first two books take place in space, and the fifth and sixth books take place on a planet. So don't set your story in either of those two locations. Go."
0: That's good for creativity.
2: I'm like, okay, well, there's a challenge. So, hence came the asteroid belt in that's in the books. So it was an interesting, very stressful six months. <laughs> or <laughs> so while well, we figured out how to make that work
0: yeah it's a setting we don't see much in track so i mean that, that was kind of cool and sort of the um not th- just free of warp civilization is pretty interesting so i dug that <laughs>
2: yeah in hindsight our books probably make a better single book if i had to do it over again i think it would be better as a single book um but in, in those days it was like what they're calling us up we got to go do this you know, it was our it was our first swing in the major leagues, so to speak. So, um, you know, lessons learned.
0: But um, I guess we'll roll a little bit into today's today's movie. Um, I did see it on opening night. I, I just looked and uh, you mentioned the other movies out of the time, which um, I think include Die Another Day, The Two mm-hmm. Towers, um, Chamber of Secrets. I mean, even for an ardent Trekkie, that's that's some pretty uh, that's uh, some biggies. <laughs>
2: I went to see it opening night too. Um, I always catch the Trek films on opening night. Um, I've only missed one of them throughout all 13 of them. I missed Star Trek 5, which in hindsight may have not been the worst thing. I caught it about a month later when it was, you know, that was the summer of Batman, you know, the <laughs> Michael Keaton Batman. And anything that wasn't Batman was getting trounced at the box office. And well, that,
1: that tells me it was a different time that films were still in the theaters after a month. <clears throat>
2: Oh, yeah, this is back in the days when, you know, you could look in the neighborhood paper and it would say held over, you know, so whatever engagement it was supposed to have, you know, they kept it in because it was making money. And I guess even Star Trek V was making money over a month after it released because I didn't get to see it until middle of July, late part of July, and it Mm -hmm. opened in early June, so... Um, because I was still overseas when it opened, I didn't get. But I got to read the novelization, so I'm thinking well, this is going to be a pretty good Star Trek movie when I get home. I can't wait to see it. Wow, <laughs> you know, not quite what the book prepped me for. So, but oh well. I can't hate any of them. I don't hate any of the Star Trek films. I just like some better than others. You know,
1: we we always ask guests what their feelings are on Star Trek Five, and we've like overwhelmingly had more people say, actually, I kind of secretly like it. <laughs> And we have had actually people say they don't like
2: it. Well, I mean, I'll acknowledge it's fla- It's false. But it does have some of my favorite scenes between Kirk, Spock and McCoy that they've ever done. And it's, you know, a Shatner, first time director at that level, not the worst first outing I've seen for a director. Um, he definitely had a style. I think he brought a lot of energy to the film that was lacking in the previous installments. He definitely knows how to shoot an action sequence, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I really enjoy the music, Jerry Goldsmith's score for that film, might be one of my very favorite Star Trek scores. Fight me on that. Uh, no, it's it's just you know, it's there's a lot to like. There's definitely, but you have to acknowledge it is a flawed film. But I don't hate it.
0: Yeah, I love the weird effects in that one being done in like a New Jersey garage. You know, it's very ambitious. <laughs> yeah. um, Nemesis uh, is, I guess, almost the opposite. It's like most of the production is there. Like everything's together. It's yeah. It's
2: a good-looking movie.
0: Yeah, it's a very, very mostly good-looking movie. I, I don't like the filters on the uh, first planet, uh, but oh yeah, that, yeah, that was kind of <laughs> yeah, weird. That's that's
1: like how they try and show you it's an alien planet on like Battlestar or Doctor Who or something. Right. Where they've only got, no, it's... like, like tenor for it.
2: <laughs> Yeah, it's not. It's not Vasquez Rocks. Honest, it's not. Uh, it's not Gobble. Or you know, what's the what's the valley of fire or whatever that place is out in utah it's not that it's not it's totally an alien planet it's not canada i swear
0: <laughs> but um yeah I, I went to nemesis with uh let's see my roommate at the time he was my bass player at the time but yeah and i, I just remember me you know i'm i'm a pretty ardent and i'm coming out kind of like did i like it he was just like i want to kill this movie so <laughs> that that was sort of the play setting um the thing is i did get the blu-ray or no i did still dvd at that time i got the dvd when it came out i watched it I've actually seen this movie like ten times, which is weird. For me, I'm, this yeah. was the first one I saw in a theater.
1: Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> I remember I, I was only like eleven when this came
0: out, so
2: Oh good uh, lord, guys.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I have a few I have a few years on them. I mean, I was twelve
2: I was twelve when the motion picture came out.
1: Christ <laughs> Christ. So, all right. So for me, just like, oh, I got to see the Enterprise on a cinema screen. That was enough for me at the time. <laughs> and then, like I said, in the intervening years, people have told me it's bad, but I don't actually have that many memories of originally seeing it. All I really remember is the ship ramming at the very end. That's the only distinct, mm-hmm. oh, and of course, the jeep chase. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the best face we ever <laughs> saw in Patrick Stewart, if nothing else. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> he was happy car- that day, wasn't he?
0: It was not Picard. That was Patrick Stewart smiling. That
2: was totally I, a Patrick Stewart thing. I
0: think that entire scene was Patrick Stewart. Is like, I will sign on for another
1: film if I get to do an ATV chase.
2: <laughs> that's hey. kind of like Steve McQueen. I'll be in your movie, but I'm riding a motorcycle. Yep. Uh.
0: That's a plus. I think that's a plus. <laughs> well, we should mm-hmm. get to talking more about him and, and others and Baines. So... Um, Luke, do you want to try and wing that story? Yeah, I
1: forgot to write a plot synopsis, so I'm going to do one off the bunts. We might re-record it later. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
0: But uh, hey, if you're on YouTube, you're going to get, this, this is your plot synopsis. Yeah.
1: The Enterprise E is celebrating the wedding of. <laughs> I, want to... no, I almost said Troy McClure! <laughs> of Troy McClure and Riker! That would have been cool. Deanna Troy and Riker. Meanwhile, On Romulus, the Remans are taking over, led by Shinzon. Anyway, the Enterprise detects some positronic parts on a planet, which apparently they can do now. They land down on a shuttlecraft, collect up the bits of B-4, Data's older brother, before coincidentally, it's the first time they're riding a jeep and they're on the planet of Jeeps, so they get to have a jeep chase, jump back into a shuttle and return to space. When they get orders from Starfleet to go to Romulus to have peace talks with the new Praetor. They get there and the new Praetor Shinzon is actually a clone of Picard and he only lured the Enterprise there because he wants to vampire out Picard's blood. They also have a new radiation weapon with which they're gonna destroy Earth, but the Enterprise teaming up with some Romulans manages to destroy the scimitar and save the day. But Data cucks it.
0: Okay, I was about to ask you about data.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's not my name. (laughs) No, it's not. (laughs)
0: That seemed to work. There are several sentences where I thought you might have actually written it. Nope. nope. I, I, I thought about writing it. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> you no, I definitely
1: that. didn't think about calling the Troy, Troy McClurk. <laughs>
0: you might remember me from previous Star Treks, such as First Contact and Insurrection. <laughs> but, uh, I don't know, main cast, let's, let's give a little thought to them. Uh, Patrick Stewart's always good. We get a scene with Patrick Stewart, as we already mentioned. That's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, he's good in everything he does, but I feel like this one, they didn't give him much. Like generations, they went really out of their way to give him some like big scenes at the start when he gets sad news. First contact he had like, he's clearly dealing with a lot of stuff. We got to see like an acting tour de force. Insurrection, he had like a love story and everything. This one, he's mostly just being a captain.
0: So is even this, though he
1: meets his clone, he didn't feel like it had much emotional weight for him.
0: Is this is this the template for movie Picard then? He drives a Jeep, he gets you know, goes fighting.
1: Yeah, but he does like, does
0: that weird chase through the uh the scimitars um hallways. Yeah, yeah, true. But like none of what he did felt inappropriate. No,
1: he doesn't get pissed like he does in first contact. Yeah. But yeah, he just no, this just felt like standard episode Picard to me.
0: Okay. <laughs> and what are your Picard thoughts on, or, or Patrick Stewart thoughts? I guess it's a... Well,
2: I mean, Patrick Stewart commands the screen whenever he's on it, I think. I mean, I, I don't think this is an exception to that. Uh, like, but like you said, it's compared to previous films or previous Star Trek films. I don't know that he has as much of consequence to do this time around other than um, react, basically. Um, I mean, if it starts off with it starts off kind of lighthearted with the wedding reception, um, and then the whole bit on the planet where he gets to kind of let loose, which and I know that you know, they they wanted him to be more like a I guess a, a kirk-like captain for the films where he was always in the center of the action. So that's why he's always, you know, oiled up and wearing tank tops and throwing phaser rifles and all that kind of stuff in the latter free movies. Um but i really can't fault him wanting to do that patrick stewart wanting to do those things rather than just stand on the bridge and 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 say make it so i think he wanted to get to mix it up so i I, you can't fault him as an actor for wanting that um it's yeah but like you said there's really not a lot there for him to do i mean i I would have the whole bit with the clone uh, this is such a tv movie kind of plot (laughs) it's like it's, it's or an episode of a TV series kind of plot, you know, the evil twin or the evil clone or whatever you want to call it. Um, I don't know. There's a lot of holes in the early setup for me. It's like, okay, we're going from earth to beta said, but we get our sensors picking up something on a planet. That's way out by the neutral zone yeah so i you know the trekkie in me is already starting to pull at it and go that's not right that doesn't make any sense
1: they've got so, damn good scanners if they can just detect an android's head on a planet like across right the or a
2: foot or what because what yeah. then they have him broken up in like half a dozen pieces or something so yeah. he's,
1: he's
2: like his foot and then there's a hand that reaches up and grabs wharf which you know it's kind of weird it's i mean I, I know they have to streamline things for the film because it's moving so fast but um, there's just a lot of things that the hardcore Trekkies are already starting to pull at at that point in the movie, and that's when things get dangerous. If they're stopping us to, to pick apart your setup, then they're not paying attention to your story. So, although mm-hmm. well, you mentioned like the the TV plot of having an evil twin, I'm
1: really surprised they got in a different actor instead of just having an evil Patrick Stewart.
2: Yeah, I mean they wanted it to be younger, and, mm. and they wanted him to be a younger version of Picard, but. You know, this is well before using CGI to de-age an actor was common, yet alone affordable. But Um, imagine
1: the fun of just like, because we're talking about Patrick Stewart didn't have much to do. Imagine if he got to chew up the scenery as the superman. Yeah,
2: that might have been a missed opportunity, I think. But I mean, I I think the shock of seeing a younger version of himself is what Mm. motivated that part of the storyline. And Tom Hardy, I mean, this is Tom Hardy before he was Tom Hardy.
1: Oh yeah yeah so this, weird is, him this is and <laughs>
2: skinny does he even include this film on his resume I really I really don't know I mean <laughs> I, I mean I think he did fine with the material they gave him but he's obviously gone on to much bigger and grandiose things since then
1: but it's just it's impressive that he had a career after this because I think there was like a big long break between this and him doing anything else.
2: I, I don't know if that's. I don't, I, mean, I know he did a lot of more smaller independent okay, yeah. films. Before
1: he did something huge again. Before he did
2: something big again. But I mean, obviously people were paying attention to him because the guy's a hell of an actor.
1: Oh,
2: yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So I'm glad that, I mean, I don't want to see anybody, I don't want to see any Star Trek film fail. I don't want to see any actor's reputation tarnished for participating in a Star Trek film. That's ridiculous. So I'm glad that he, I'm, I was joking about the resume thing. I'm sure he includes <laughs> all his work. He wouldn't have taken the job if he didn't want to do it. Yeah. So um, I just I don't know. Just I'm glad that he has become the, the, the actor he is because he's just amazing to watch in just about anything. And he's watchable in this film, too.
0: Yeah. I want to say Bronson was his next big cultural notation. Yeah. I
1: was looking at Google's list of his films, but it doesn't give them to you in the year that they were released.
0: So oh, okay. useless. <laughs> but, um, you
2: yeah. got to look at like, like something like, like IMDb. IMDb or, yeah or wikipedia or something but i mean i i thought he worked pretty consistently after nemesis just maybe not anything like mm. big budget or major studio well but, i mean did I he,
1: was a child so i only watched big stupid films so. <laughs> but did he stay in
2: lost did he stay in australia uh before you know did he did he stay down there working or did he migrate to the u.s i don't remember i don't know what he did
0: i think we're oh well there's a fair amount on this list here um
1: but yeah, he, it's Star Trek, and then these are all very small roles and small films. LD
0: fifty lethal dose. That sounds fun. Minotaur. I have
2: to look it up to see what he what was his major role after the first major role after it. Uh, so
0: yeah, it, it is. It is. Bronson. Okay,
2: Bronson
1: was his next notable. So it, that's only a six year gap, though. It's not like he disappeared for no. And he came 10, back, transformed into Tom Hardy. But he was yeah, work, yeah,
2: but he was working that whole time, right? Yeah, he yeah, yeah, he
1: was. He was. He was doing smaller roles, but he was. He was working. Um. I guess. I mean, I forgot
2: he was in Black Hawk Down, and I just watched that <laughs> a couple of weeks ago. So, he did Layer Cake? That's a popular oh, cult yeah. movie. I don't That's remember
1: a- him in that. Was he a big role in that film?
2: I don't know if he was a big role. I don't I remember, remember that movie Freight. that much. I just remember the. I remember the name of the movie, and it's you know, and there you, you know, Sucker Punch, which I, I'm not a huge one, but you know, whatever. <laughs>
0: Maybe what colors this movie more than anything else is um, director. I, I'm not quite sure. I'll say his name. Stuart Baird. Stuart, Bard, Stuart Baird, Baird. Who's Baird. more of an,
2: he's got a bigger rep, much longer reputation as a, as an editor.
0: Yeah. He's been,
2: he's probably, been around forever as an editor.
0: For directing, he had done a U.S. marshals and executive decisions, which are both fine movies. He's got skills as a director, but I do remember in the lead up to this. They're like, Oh, we've got a director who doesn't even know about star Trek. So it's going to be like completely new. And, now, and in 2021, that sounds insane, but.
2: <laughs> right. I mean, he's okay. only got like, I don't even know if he, any, if he directed anything beyond those three movies that we just said, um, Nemesis, <laughs> Executive Decision, and uh, uh, U.S. Marshals. I don't know that he's done anything else as a director. I mean, like I said, he's got a very long resume as an editor, including some movies you've watched. <laughs> I mean, uh, he, was, he was the editor on the original Superman film. That's how far back he goes. The Omen, I think he was he did. I mean, he's he's been around a long time. Yeah, you Um, put
1: Stuart Baird into Google, it says Stuart Baird, film editor.
2: Yeah, and I mean, he's been around for and he's done some big, big ticket movies. Um, And only director
1: of three. Oh wow, that's
2: amazing. So so, you know, as a director, he makes a pretty good editor. (laughs) Just like, just like as a singer, I make a great fry cook. Okay. (laughs) So, and as far as I know, he's, you know, his reputation as an editor is very solid. I mean, very well regarded as an editor. I don't know how or why he got the job to do the directing for this film. I don't remember the story. Um, I think it was a multi-picture deal, maybe, with the studio. Because I want to say that those other two films are also Paramount films. Um, U.S. Marshalls and the other one, the Kurt Russell one, Executive Decision. I think they're all Paramount movies. So it was probably some multi-picture deal that he had with the studio and Star Trek ended up being the one that was next to the line or something. I don't know why they didn't let Jonathan Frakes direct it.
1: Apparently he was just finishing off directing something else.
2: Oh, okay. He just directed Clockstoppers. That's it. That's it. He, there was a conflict. I, I knew there was a conflict, but I couldn't remember what it was. Um, so yeah, and of course, you know, in the years since, Jonathan Frakes has become a very prolific director, uh, specifically or especially on television so you know good for him
1: i you funny you mentioned kurt russell film executive decision reminds me that i hated that film as i when i was younger because i picked it hated. up in my steven seagal phase <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: and the whole film is a bait and switch it's not really you thought seagal it was
2: switch. under siege three didn't you yeah. yes you
1: did i was like oh under siege on a plane i can't wait
2: ac <laughs> ryback gets killed what
1: <laughs> like, two minutes into the film because <laughs> the film starts and it really builds it up like it's a Steven Seagal film and he's the tough guy mm-hmm. leading the mission and then start the mission he gets killed and Kurt Russell has to take over and it's actually a good film with a you gotta movie admit movie. it's a pretty
2: good twist
1: yeah but it's at the pretty, time it's a
2: pretty good twist
1: uh, me and my pals yeah. were really into Seagal and we were sitting down for a Seagal movie <laughs>
2: It's like when uh, Sam Jackson gets eaten by the shark in uh, yeah, yeah, deep, yeah, blue, deep sea. blue sea. Yeah. You know, he's, he's the leader of the expedition. He's the one who's going to rescue everybody and get yeah. everybody out. And then he gets eaten.
0: I have heard that. So, so some of the expendable types, including Seagal have been like hired in the past several years to do like Russian action movies. I got to track those down. Oh, there's no, wow. I, I will. Admit, yeah.
1: There's one coming, what it's cool, where yes, It's so. got Schwarzenegger and Jackie Chan on screen together. <laughs> 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 because some, i will admit that money at the screen.
2: <laughs> in the in the late 80s when seagal was eight late 80s early 90s when he was in his prime i was a big seagal fan you uh, the, the first under siege movie is a fun one yeah um yeah. i remember watching the first one he was in some low budget I want to say it's called Above the Law. Is that the one? where he's I
1: think that's one, yeah. It's got three words. That sounds about well, right. Something a- like that. A-
2: yeah, exactly. Um, Every but it's- Seagal
1: movie title has to work with the word Steven Sigal is before the title.
2: There you go. That might be what it is. <laughs> um, and I think that probably holds true if we go down the line. Yeah. Um, Steven
1: Sigal is above the law. I just remember there's a
2: scene where he's in, a st- he's in the street and he's facing off against like eight or nine bad guys. And he's got his pistol, and some guy says something like, You can't shoot all of us. And he shoots that guy and says, Well, I get an A for effort. I'm like, Okay. That's a classic 80s movie scene right there. That's good.
0: Yeah. You can't make those anymore,
2: can you? Not anymore. You
0: feel existential dread after you shoot that guy.
2: You have to feel bad about it for a couple of minutes or something. I don't know. I mean, well, maybe not anymore. Maybe now, ever since John Wick came out, I think we're going back the other way now. Yep. Now you can kill people with impunity. It's yeah, okay. but you have
1: to just feel nothing. It's like they don't make
2: you don't, have, yeah. <laughs> you don't feel bad. You don't cry. You just it's the way it goes. Yeah. So
0: okay. I think we've been dancing around this topic, but uh who's who's gonna be up against the wall first for you? B4 or Jar Jar Binks?
2: <laughs> wow. I, I I'll remembered. give Jar Jar Binks the I'll put I'll put a bullet in Jar Jar Binks first.
0: <laughs> so, I remember B4 you, being a bigger role than he was. Well, because there's, still, again, the the um, you know the fake out, right? Where mm. Data has actually uh, taken on the, the B4 role. <laughs> yeah, there's only really two or three scenes B4's in. True.
2: <laughs> yeah. He doesn't really... I mean, uh, you can't really fault the character because it's just an android that doesn't know any better. Yep. Am I, am I back now? Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. international. It's, uh, you know, funky atmospherics this day in Nagano, Japan. <laughs> Yeah. You guys
2: having another Godzilla attack? Is that what's happening? Godzilla's attacking again? Oh, we
0: always wish.
1: We always <laughs> wish. I've what? had my earthquake and my typhoon, so I'm waiting for my kaiju
2: next. Like... <laughs> Checking them off. Get the, yeah. get the...
0: I, I still have a feeling it's going to be Gamera when it finally happens. <laughs> Gamera's a good guy, though. Well, then that's for the best. I guess so, yeah. I don't actually want
1: to be stomped by a dinosaur. Yeah, Gamera
0: can still, can still stomp on you, that's true. But, um... I mean, I don't know the the whole Sung thing. It's like there's eighty seven Sungs There's there's Laura. There's before. It's like Ren Spiner just needs other characters to play. I guess
2: there (laughs) are there are as many Sung characters as there are Highlander movies after Mm -hmm. the one that was the last one. You know, or supposed to be the last (laughs) one. There can only be one more. There's always another Highlander movie. There's always another Sung android.
1: Well, it felt like they were, oh, we we need to kill Data off because Brent Spine is getting too old to look the same as he did in episode one.
0: Meanwhile, in But then they
1: chicken out and add another <laughs> away for him to come back anyway.
2: Well, I mean, but that's Star Trek in a nutshell. I mean, yeah. that's basically just the remember scene, yep. you know, from Spock. I mean, there's death is only semi-permanent in Star Trek. I think we have learned uh, the, the lone exception so far being, you know, Kirk. Um, Unless you
1: read the Shatner verse. <laughs>
2: Right, and even there, you know, you have to go to you have to go to another medium. But yes, that, that there you go. So the so the pattern holds. We're not we're not we're not charting any new ground here. So
0: um, any of the other supporting cast you want to mention before moving along our, our I mean, merry I've got to say, poor Wolf. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I mean, he deserves to be getting pissed drunk at the, uh, like, at the table. The worst part is after like the first wedding, he's like.
1: I don't want to go to the petazoid wedding and get naked. They're like, a silly wolf doesn't want to get his dick out in
0: front of his ex-girlfriend marrying someone else. <laughs> what? Two years after his own wife died. <laughs> right. Oh, God. Who he he still, still has to work with every day in a way. Yeah. As well as yeah, it's like, uh, let's, let's brutalize Troy all the time, which they do in this movie. But uh, yeah, the Wharf gets a pretty short end of the stick as well.
2: You know, it's funny because it's Worf's trajectory through the film you know where he's back in starfleet uniform even though the end of ds9 makes him you know a federation ambassador to the klingon empire so he's ostensibly left starfleet at the end of ds9 and yet here comes nemesis and they completely ignore that development of his character it was that sort of thing that prompted the whole uh, time to series of books was to figure out why all the disconnects between insurrection and and nemesis and the different character issues that had happened over the course of the, you know, between the two films and what happened with Worf. That was, that was the, that was the genesis of the idea was what the hell is the deal with Worf? Why is he back on the ship answering the phone? He was an ambassador, you know, a minute ago.
1: And what's wild is they've got a wedding happening. So they've got a perfectly valid reason for him to be on the ship. Mm -hmm. They didn't need to reinstate him into Starfleet to make it make sense.
2: Right. But I mean, you know, that's just the films and the and the, I guess not taking into account what was on the screen or on TV. Mm-hmm. They were not. I mean, by that point, all the shows had wrapped. So this was, except for Enterprise, which is a completely different thing. But all the twenty fourth century shows had wrapped. So there was none of that cross coordination, cross pollination. You know, keeping tabs on stuff. And you know, I, and they, even though there was some of the old brain trust still working behind the scenes, you know, you've got you've got different guy in charge directing, making decisions. Yeah. What he wants for the film, what he wants. He doesn't. And I think that's the stories that we've read or heard about is the friction on the set was caused by the actors knowing where their characters go and how they react to different situations. But the director wanting a different thing, you know, Mm. for his film. So I think that's what caused a lot of the, the tension and the stress and why everybody just didn't seem to want to come to work every day on the show.
0: Something I just learned with uh, First Contact is uh, apparently the the filmmakers, oh, I guess would be Jonathan Brakes and and crew, but uh, yeah, they actually wanted to blow up the Defiant and then the Deep Space Nine. Mm -hmm. No, you can't blow up our ship.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Right. We get to blow up our ship. They blow up the next, you know, or they blow it up a couple years later. Right, Uh, Right. And they replace it with an exact version of it i just love that so
0: after it already seen another exact version but that's fine yeah it's a cool design we can go with it
2: yeah they were they were talking about blowing up the defiant and had to, and they had to talk them off the ledge on that one like no 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 we still need that you know
1: i mean so. it wouldn't have been hard to just paint a b on it and have it defiant b for the next season. right <laughs> which is what
2: they ended up doing so
1: yeah
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Let's uh, take a, a step, I guess, into, we, we said it is a very good looking movie. Um, I would say this is kind of that threshold where the digital is starting to look good, but it still mm-hmm. looks pretty digital.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I was going to say all the ship, all the models were, were digital models at this point, right? I think all the ship models were CGI. They had, yeah, they had gone in- away from physical models by then. Um, it's, for the most part, looking pretty good. I think not as good, good as it's gonna it get. But... I mean it, it looks good. The sh- and you know I love
0: maybe the scimitar
2: of yeah. physical model work. I always have, you know. Oh, it froze on me now.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: <laughs> I always I have always loved physical model work, but you can do so many different things with digital that you can't possibly pull off with a physical model. So you know the, 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 the shots can be more dynamic and the ship can move in directions that it could you can never pull off with a physical model. Or if you did, it would take so long to do it and be so expensive, it's not worth it. Um, there's there's pluses and minuses for both, both formats. I
1: feel like they didn't do anything too wild with the ships in this one. I think 2009 is where they start doing like we're doing things with CG you just couldn't have done. Yeah, great.
2: that's when it really opens up. But I mean, there are a couple of shots of of like the Enterprise moving through the screen. It's like, okay, that's not your typical, you know. Yeah, it's definitely uh, nice shot. The ship's on a stick and the camera moves by kind of move. Hmm.
0: The, I do remember the collision being notable. Like the collision mm-hmm. was great. Yeah. So uh, the scimitar itself, I feel like it's one of the first like just giant digital blob ships enterprise looks fantastic of course but the scimitar itself is it's very similar to that um, uh like the romulan ships okay the one in uh the 2009 yeah yeah.
1: well the whole the bad guy is one big romulan ship made by some angry miners (laughs) like the the bad guy again six years later so it definitely felt this and yet the scimitar was a bit more of a shape than the one we get the line, which is just a bunch of stuff
0: but yeah i can kind of picture the cemetery a little more but
2: looks like, it, like a, a bird i mean it's got the wings you know and the and it's almost like a overgrown bird of prey but or a klingon bird of prey but it's like um... a
1: 12 year old took a bird of prey and was like no i'm gonna make it cooler and just kept sticking <laughs>
0: stuff on until it didn't look cool anymore <laughs> um we don't see much of Romulus in Star Trek. I, I did like seeing the uh, the the Senate room and a bit more of the city because I what the, the the one with Leonard Nimoy Uh not reunion, reunification. Yes, thank you. Yeah, that's it's all like underground. We don't see like the Senate. We just see like some streets. Yeah, this stuff. is this, are they, is this the first time we really see Romulus in that much detail?
2: Uh, yeah. As you say, Unification had some you know had some establishing like matte paintings or something or or whatever. And then most of that stuff was done. I think it was underground. Like he was underground most of the time. And then the rest of it was interiors, you know, offices and hallways and things like that. So you didn't really get, I mean, and on Romulus, you really don't get much more of that. You just get more money put into the sets that they did build. Yeah. So, you know, like the Senate chamber was, was pretty impressive. Um, I love the map on the floor, which is an echo of that map that you saw in the original series episode that introduced the Romulans. You know, the one that Spock shows everybody and it's got that it's got the two sides of the border and the line going. I mean, that's basically what that is, is a fancier version of that map. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of callbacks throughout this film to previous Star Trek episodes and whatnot. So it's uh it was fun. I mean, and i love the, the take on the Romulan uniforms. There's a little bit more money in those than the ones we saw on Next Gen. Um and you know the Remans are, of course, were a were a curveball that we weren't expecting. You know, what, what? There's a whole other planet right next door and a whole other race of people that everybody forgets again after this movie. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's something that Picard didn't even really pick up. I was,
2: up tr- I was trying
1: to think that they even mentioned the Remans in Picard. They must have given them a throwaway line, but because
0: I don't certainly... think they said anything.
2: Yeah. They
0: certainly solidified Nemesis into the uh, the you know main flow of track uh, with Picard as. There were a fair amount of people that kind of wanted to forget it, and now you can't. Now it fits in. Nope,
2: yeah. Now it's right there in your face.
0: I don't think you can start just like I didn't like this one. We're cutting it out. Well, you can always do it if you want, but no. no <laughs> but I mean, that's never been Star Trek's. Jam, no, no, so. but I, I yeah, I, I do think that in the past year or two, I, again, the novel started the thing, and then Picard helped it too. Where Nemesis kind of like is. Um, begrudgingly kind of uh, taken a, a proper place in the, the pantheon of Trek. Hmm.
2: I, I think I've, my, my opinion on it has softened over time. Uh, like I said, it's not my favorite, but I can't really bring myself to hate any of them. Um, I think it's just, um, they were kind of, a, I think they all knew this was the last one. <laughs> and uh, that was it. I don't, I don't know whether they wanted to do another one after this one or or not, but it was definitely, it was definitely marketed like it was the last one, even if that wasn't the intention, you know, the, 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 the marketing copy basically said final journey or last journey or something to that yeah, effect I, on the poster.
0: But, um, I, according to the week, I think there actually was some groundwork for a, for a
1: next one, but I mean. I this, think someone's always going to be trying to make another one, right? If it's how they get their pay.
2: Well, I was going to say, yeah, they, they probably always had plans, but then the you know the, the returns came back and went, well, okay, that's it, we're done.
0: Yeah, it was sixty-seven million on a uh, sixty-million budget, which once you consider advertising and all that, eh, not looking. Yeah, for it good. lost money. It lost <laughs> money.
1: So, but like the the thing people bring up at the time is maybe people there was just an oversaturation of Star Trek, and I that, that's
2: not. That's not necessary. I don't I never believe that because as long as it's good, nobody cares. You know, you, I mean, we. If, if, if it's good Star Trek, we will not mind getting it three times a week or twice a week and in a movie every couple of years. But um, I think probably it was just burnout maybe on the part of the creators. Mm-hmm. I mean, the people involved in the TV series were going from show to show to show. And then trying to crank out a movie every couple of years—that's a lot of—that's a lot of work for for the same group of people. Yeah, to you know, to be executed at a high level consistently. And, and you know, I don't think you can fault their effort. Uh, definitely wouldn't. I would never say that they you know lacked effort. Uh, I think it's just you know maybe they were burnt out. Didn't re- maybe you didn't even realize they were burning out. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you have to step you away never, from yeah. it to realize. You
0: never do realize till you step back and think, oh shit, yeah, that was. Maybe that's what's kind of working now. Um, I mean, you know, there's, there's, of course, variable quality on the newer shows, but it's all different people running. Right. Each,
2: each, each show has its own writer's room. Each show has its own production designer. And, 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 and uh, I, there's some crossover in, in the art departments and visual effects and things like that. But I mean, primarily, the, it's driven by the writer's rooms. Who are all separate. They're, each show has its own dedicated writers room and showrunner. So is, you're not you don't have like Rick you do you don't have a Rick Berman poking his head into two different writers' rooms every day and getting involved with storylines and scripts and and all that kind of thing. I mean, Alex Kurtzman is much he's a, he's like a step further removed from all that for all the heat he takes, you know, about being responsible. He's 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 a little bit further removed from the process than than Rick Berman was in his heyday. He definitely trusts his showrunners to do their own respective things.
0: And there was a similar flavor. I mean, you know, Deep Space Nine is much darker. Voyager was mm-hmm. much more trippy. I don't know, but <laughs> you know the flavor. But I mean, yeah, yeah. But
2: Berman was involved. He had his fingers in both pies. You know, when both shows were on, and, and at the time, I mean, he he got he has story credits on both shows, so he was involved at least at some level on in the in the dirt part, the grunt part. So despite being the big guy in charge. The point uh, being that
0: Voyager Deep Space Nine do have quite a lot more in common than, say, two of the modern shows. Yeah,
2: yeah, I think so. There's definitely, I mean, and plus there was on those shows, the old shows, I mean, again, there was even more overlap behind the camera. I mean, not just not so much the writers rooms, but definitely the art department, the production design, the visual effects, you know, that, that all those people are the same like yeah, you know Mike and Dini Sakuda and Doug Drexler and and uh, Herbert Zimmer, you know Zimmerman, these guys Herman Zimmerman, we, these all folks were everywhere. They were they were, you know they were jumping back and forth like like bandits,
0: like something. We have that one word cut out. Okay, bandits <laughs> yeah. like bandits. bandits. There you go, bandits. Okay, <laughs> okay. That's weird. Like what happened on Zoom before? <laughs> <laughs> It's the evolution, evolution of zooming. <laughs> I'm gonna say it's your fault somehow. It's probably my fault. Yeah, <laughs> but um, I, I guess Luke, you said you kind of wanted to bring that up as a, uh, I guess, are we getting to to your point? Which point? Oversaturation of Trek. Um, well, I, a lot of the problems people have with Nemesis.
1: Don't feel like such big problems now that we're twenty years out. Whereas, had I just watched. All of Voyager, all of DS9, been super into all of these stories, I would have gone to the film thinking, here's the next part of this thing I'm really into. And then it's kind of made for people who maybe watched a bit of TNG and haven't been to a foot, haven't watched any Star Trek since the last movie. And it maybe that's why people were so annoyed. Not necessarily that they were oversaturated with Star Trek, but just that they were so into all the Star Trek that then when there's it's not catered directly for them. It feels like a betrayal. Whereas obviously you can't release a movie in the cinemas that's based on someone having watched, what would it be like 300 Mm -hmm. episodes of TV?
2: Yeah. Now it's like 800. So yeah, yeah, um, yeah, you raise a good point. The films have to appeal to a broader base um, than the television series did at the time. Uh, You have to, that's, you know, it's basically the films are a two hour roller coaster ride versus the the more in-depth character development you can have over the season of a tv show well,
0: that's where um i think we said before that five again and um insurrection tend to be more i guess maligned than the others and those are the ones where they actually explore right and it's you know like earth is about to be destroyed this one included with nemesis mm-hmm. but uh you know like the ones that tend to yeah, it's like, oh, well, they're actually exploring. It's not what they're supposed to do. No, they do that on TV and the movies. They got to, you know, have some world uh, shaking events, universe but shaking events. There's the line where <laughs> Shinzon
1: says, "And um, us Picards always warriors? And Picard says, oh, I think of myself more as an explorer. But if you just watch the films, he's not much of an explorer.
0: <laughs> he's just fought like three different wars. The explorers and phasers.
2: <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't is that the case? I mean, how many of the films are based around a bad guy who's pissed off and seeking vengeance? <laughs> at least four of them, right?
1: Yeah,
2: so well, like, let's you said, see one, two, three, four, five, like five of, them, five of them, five of them, five or six of them. So, yeah, they did two
1: films in a row where it's a Romulan is pissed off and trying to destroy Earth with a big ship, like, seven yeah. years in between, at least. True. But... <laughs>
0: Yeah, you know, we like to kind of get into the philosophical dur of the film, but, uh, Dayton, I think you already caught it out by like they just put a TV trope on the big screen. Like, it seems like, oh, we should explore duality and what, you know, nature versus nurture, but it maybe that's one of the problems here. It's a little ham fisted.
1: They touch on it a little.
2: There's, yeah, there's but a that's
0: scene between yeah. my Star conversations.
2: I mean, there's, there's that scene with Picard and Shinzon where they discuss. How their lives could have been different if they, you know, if if the younger, ver- if, if Shinzon had benefited from Picard's upbringing, would he have lost his humanity? Would he have thrown away his conscience? And the same thing as you know, Picard, if I had been raised in that environment, would I be more like him? You know, and of course, they leave it open ended so that we can think about that but before the phasers start firing.
1: Later, he has a follow up conversation with Data as well. Mm-hmm. and data says no i don't f- like you're not just your genes you are also your experiences
2: yep exactly and that's that's kind of the what it boils down to is your 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 you are the sum total of the people you've met in your life and the experiences you've had you know you, that's your person your person is defined by all these things mm. it's an interesting question i mean they just don't really have a lot of time to dig in now if this had been the plot point of a, of a 10 or 12 episode binge worthy tv season you know maybe they would have really gotten to pull it apart
0: or tapestry managed to pretty well in 45 minutes <laughs> this is
2: true this
0: is true yeah i think it's, true. Been,
1: it's it's not that they couldn't have leaned into it more i think it is that they because it was a big movie and they wanted it to be an action movie they chose not to lean into yeah. the conversation more one Possibly. part i really like which this has which we talk about like a lot of the star trek films are just here's an evil villain but this had a more Star Trekky tone where when they're talking about his like disease is killing him, and Picard's question isn't like, oh, great, we can defeat him. It's, can anything be done for him?
2: Right. That's like Picard in a nutshell. That
0: compassion, which you want from Starfleet.
2: Yeah, that's Batman, Picard's...
0: Um, Shen doesn't just come out guns blazing, but he wants to, you know, know... Well, he wants to know his enemy, which I guess is supposed to be badass in some kind of way. But it's, you know, uh, now... More and more, it's just like guns blazing is the the go-to, I think. so. Well, that's the
1: line he gives his Viceroy. But when you watch it, it feels like he genuinely did just want to meet Picard. Yeah. <laughs> like he was curious to meet this older version of himself.
2: Well, it makes you wonder. It's like, is there an element of the Picard we know still moving within Shinzon? And, you know, because we've seen Picard take darker action or actions that he didn't want to, but was forced to. Didn't enjoy it, but he did it. You know, so it's like he's capable of violence. He's capable of of doing the darker deed, but he prefers not to if he has another option. And it's almost like for a moment there, Shinzon is there's just a slight hint of of Picard, our Picard in him, you know, that, which prevents him from coming out with guns blazing.
0: What's well, the whole Kirk line of, you know, we're all barbarians, but we just mm-hmm. choose not to kill today. <laughs> <laughs> I would have liked. I wonder if the film would have. Been
1: a better film with an ending where Picard did manage to save him in some way rather than just stab him with a pipe. <laughs> like if we'd had a return of the Jedi ending rather than just, a, I defeat you because I'm better at fighting.
0: Would, would the vice Viceroy be the Emperor in that case? Yeah,
1: like that's what I mean. Maybe like Shinzon starts to have doubts, the Remans assume command, Shinzon helps Picard save the day. So it was, I know it's cheesy, but it would have been a bit more Star Trek,
0: I think. I do remember in the lead up to the film another thing they were really trying to push of course this is all marketing but they were really probably because of uh, you know data eating and all that they are like this is next generation's Wrath of Khan and and the idea is the plot vaguely mirrors it instead of you know having left Khan on a planet years ago it's oh I'm this lost little um, clone with with you know a chip on my shoulder <laughs> yeah I'm trying to think if there was a villain from the show they could have brought
1: back Khan style. Mm. I mean, we never definitively destroyed lore, did we? That's why I was like, why is B4 here? Yeah.
2: It took him <laughs> apart. Yeah. yeah. No. Yeah. Did they destroy lore? I don't remember. I feel like I only watched that episode like something. this year, but I don't remember
0: what happened. he <laughs> <laughs> teams up with the Borg. So As there's that. Um, but yeah, I think it was just they they wanted it to be like hardcore, you know, like full on space opera. So I guess you can't Of course again, though, Jedi, that's a full-on space opera, so (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of
1: black leather and car chases and punch ups over big rifts. So you can see they were trying to go for a thing, but (laughs) they also wanted to have a bit of his Picard and he has philosophical debates, and maybe the two don't actually fit together that well.
0: (laughs) Um so yeah, I guess we should look a little bit how about this how this film is holding up. Um It seems it's somewhat improved over
2: time. (laughs) Like I said, my, I've, I remember coming out of the theater thinking, well, okay, I could have gone to see the James Bond movie, which also left me wanting to watch something else when I got out of the theater. Yeah, I was going to say it wouldn't have been much. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it wasn't a good. It wasn't a good year. It that was not a good. What was it, November, December, late November, early December? That was not a good time to be a movie fan. <laughs>
0: <Is> <laughs> I was disappointed by
2: two of those flills. <laughs> Is Dianna um,
0: the one where he um, starts off in North Korea? Yeah. Yes. Oh, the way you're supposed to watch is he actually dies, in it, and that's his fever. The whole movie's his fever dream as he's uh, festering
2: away. <laughs> well, goes, I mean, it's, in st- it's it starts off strong and then goes off the rails. That's the fever is, dream. Yeah. <laughs> but, um. But Two
1: Towers was good. I watched that like three times.
2: <laughs> I, but like yeah, my opinion of it has softened over the years. This is the same way that I wasn't the biggest Enterprise fan when it was on. But over the course of, of several years later, um, you know, doing research for a book, I had to watch several enterprise episodes and I write, you know what? That was better than I remember. That wasn't bad at all. That kind of thing. Mm. Um, again, it's hard to, there are only maybe, I don't know, a handful of episodes across all the series that I absolutely loathe and never want to watch again, (laughs) but they're, but they are by far a very small minority.
0: For me, I, I, it always comes up. What you showed to someone who's never like seen Star Trek before, and, and well, if you did this with a, a, a kid, it wouldn't work. I got my daughter a little bit into Discovery, um, but when I put on Tribbles, once she just started laughing at it directly.
2: Oh, uh, that's no. Uh, <laughs> and and I, yeah, this is definitely not one that you would use to introduce someone to Star Trek. I, I mean, of the four next-gen films, First Contact might be the best one in terms of a balanced storyline you know there's some star trek stuff in there but there's also the actiony stuff and what past storylines they rely on they explain in the film so i, I think you're okay yeah um, kind of like, like the voyage I, home
0: you know? yeah i feel like what i would show people these days just if i wanted to show them this is a nice baseline star trek is i feel like time's Arrow, the two-parter and next gen just sticks in my mind is that that would be a nice starting point it's got some gray stuff. It's got some terrible stuff. It's a, it's a nice uh, <laughs> a primer. This is your
2: this is your average run of the mill middle of the road Star Trek episode. Stuff you like, stuff you hate, stuff that's just kind of there.
0: But it's still it's very a, entertaining. Yeah, and but I entertaining. Yeah, definitely entertains me. And and I guess that's the thing with Nemesis. In the end, it's it it never has failed to entertain me. At least
2: mm. I just watched it like uh, a few weeks ago when we first talked about doing this. Um, I rewatched it or you know not so much rewatched it but I let it run in the background while I was working and I found myself you know watching it instead of doing what I was supposed to be doing I'm like it's not as bad as I remember there's some really good stuff in here
1: I think like I said earlier it's a film which is better with less context okay like, watching it having I actually haven't finished rewatching DS9 or Voyager recently so I came off the end of TNG I watched the four TNG films and ended on Nemesis. It it kind of works in that context. Mm-hmm. I, I can definitely yeah. see why people were pissed at it in two thousand two, but watching it on its own, it's just like it's a fun romp. It's fine. I
2: don't. I I didn't. I never was pissed at it. I just came out of the theater thinking, eh, you know, that's mm-hmm. that's that could have been better. Now, the <laughs> you know, guy saw in the theater with the guy in the
0: theater with. He was pissed. he was was not happy coming out of the theater that that and the uh third matrix movie i remember him being like
2: oh well yeah now that's that well that's a tough that's a tough line to go yeah the third matrix movie was horrible so
0: (laughs) you know (laughs) i'm the guy who loves all three matrix films yeah i i actually i i will give a little bit to the later ones but there i can you know especially if it's a completely different movie than the first one and even the second one so
1: although not to rub it in again i'm also the guy who was 13 when like those films came out
0: (laughs) i just remember oh um, wow cool
1: karate was enough for me at the
0: time i saw the matrix reloaded on a um uh it was in maine and and they had a costume contest and i won it but i didn't show up in a costume i just happened to wear a black trench coat at the time (laughs) and had like this haircut and (laughs) (laughs) I think I a black t-shirt, like you win. I'm like, yay! I'm like, What's happening?
2: Cosplay on a budget. And yeah, so. that's right.
0: No, I just that's how I dressed at the time. So funny. But um, it was like a kind of a derpy trench coat though. It wasn't like a stylish leather one. It was like a um, man you know, there's
1: no stylish black trench coat. It was it was an inspector
0: clouseau one, but like in black. <laughs> but from a distance i guess it looked cool right so because i actually worked at my worked outside all the time so i needed you know it probably smelled funny from the rain yeah i've always thought you're someone who looks good from a distance there we go you get up close and everything goes to hell (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i still i mean i guess the trek films are all good enough this is i'm gonna put this at the bottom of my pile of trek films in the end i'm gonna put five of them
2: they've all entertained me to one degree or another.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Having now covered
1: all 10 classic Star Trek films for this podcast, there's not one that I didn't enjoy watching. Like sitting down and watching 90 minutes to two hours of Star Trek
0: is never not fun.
2: I was going to say there's, there are always worse ways to spend your time.
0: Yeah. But I never watch Star Trek four anymore because oh. when I was, when I was like, maybe 10, 12 years old. You know, I have VHS as late 80s. Uh, I remember getting up at like five in the morning and putting on the VHS of Star Trek IV and just oversaturating that movie so much. I can like barely <laughs> stand We just,
2: We just went to go see it uh, a couple couple weekends ago um, for the 35th anniversary. They did a 35th anniversary event screening at theaters around the country. Oh, nice. So, and that's the first time I'd seen it Definitely the first time I seen it on the big screen in forever. <laughs> uh, we
0: watched it this year for the podcast and of course I enjoyed it. It's a good movie. I'm just like mm-hmm. like it's one like one when when the dialogue, the complete dialogue of the movie exists in your subconscious, you don't oh, really yeah. have to watch it again. Yeah, I was yeah for a while I was at that point with the Wrath of Khan. Mm. Where it was
1: the one I'd watched a thousand times and it's just like I don't need well, to Well see, that's the one that.
2: they'd always bring in for special screenings, like at the Alamo or uh yeah. um, or just event screenings it was it'd be that one and then you know uh back in 2009 they brought motion picture out for its 40th anniversary Hmm. or or 2019 uh 40th anniversary so that was the first time i'd seen that on a big screen in 20 years i guess maybe so it's always fun to watch them on a big screen
1: definitely unfortunately star trek barely exists in japan so i don't get that opportunity (laughs)
2: i was i was actually stationed on okinawa um in 1988 so 88 to 89 so that's where i was when star trek 5 came out okay and uh but that was also the you know the same summer that you know batman was coming out indiana jones and the last crusade was coming out there was a lethal weapon movie there was a ghostbusters movie there was all these movies coming out and you could see the billboards you know in town driving down around the where we were by the bases they had big huge billboards for a movie theater and you know i kept looking for the star trek five poster it never showed it was always indiana jones and batman so yeah i i bought the book at a bookstore on base and i read the book thinking this is gonna be a kick-ass movie when i get home wow <laughs> <laughs>
0: We're, we're at the end of our, our classic Trek run. And I was like, oh, well, you should rank them. But my thought more is like, probably not Nemesis because you just watched it, but what is the Trek movie you would want to put on right now? Hmm.
2: If You mean just like go to the shelf and stick it in because I'm bored? Yeah. Or just yeah. want to have it to run? Just the you one know, that that you that's, like watching. That question, depending on when you ask me that question, my, my answer will change, but... Over time, my opinion on the first one, motion picture, has grown considerably. Um, I did not like it as much when I was 12 because I wanted something like the TV series. And that's not what that film is. Uh, But over the years, I have come to appreciate it because it's really of all of the films. It's the only one that really tried to be something other than an expanded episode of a TV series. It really reached. I'm not saying it made it not saying it didn't swing out at the plate, but, you know, and it does have its issues, but overall, I I, lo- I love it for what it tried to do, which was just be something more than a TV episode.
1: If you were offering me to see one of them in the theater right now, I definitely pick motion picture. Yeah. But if you were saying like, oh, do you want to just stick on a DVD for two hours before we go to work? Ah. Uh, I I'd probably watch Star Trek too. Maybe <laughs> one of the TNG ones because I've seen them so much less mm. than the six original series ones because it took me a long time to finish re watching TNG and I was holding off watching the films till I finished it. <laughs> so I spent like my entire 20s not watching any of those films.
2: Yeah, I can watch First Contact without too much trouble. Yeah, I mean, I could throw that one in on Sunday afternoon. Yeah. Right.
0: My Trek rewatching—I mean, if I'm watching it anew, it's got my full attention. You know, a new episode or whatever. Mm-hmm. But Trek re-watches, I tend to just you know put on like while I'm in bed or something, going
2: to sleep. Right. They're just they're they background noise.
0: Yeah, I want to drift with the film, and I have found like One Five and Insurrection are my go-to's for that because they yeah. just kind of float along. You know,
2: and I mm-hmm.
0: don't know what it is about those, but uh, and, and of course those are the ones I've probably seen a little less, but yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I will, I was going to say if they go, if they come through with their promise, you know, they're, you know, they're remastering the director's cut of the motion picture for high def and 4k and all that stuff. And then there's talk about it being released to theaters for a time, not just a one nighter, but maybe a limited engagement. I've heard rumors. I can't, uh, I keep hearing unsubstantiated rumors. And whenever I try to substantiate them, I get, I get the wall of silence. I'm like, okay, that my brain, that just tells me that's what's going to happen. You don't want to tell yeah. me yet. Um <laughs> I will definitely be there. Yeah,
0: that sounds will, great.
2: First chance the tickets go on sale, you'll you'll hear the echo of my, my credit card getting charged.
0: Although so. So i I really i like the uh, i like the weird clunkiness of the theatrical cut. I, I like those effects better, I guess. Is uh, I do know the pacing has probably improved. Someone the directors,
2: but uh, it's a little bit different. I mean, it's not. It's it, it it's a little more streamlined in the director's cut. It it doesn't. It doesn't solve all the issues people have with the pacing, but it's I don't know. I've I've watched them together or, you know, I've compared the scenes and I don't know that it. I don't know. I I think I'm like you. I like the original theatrical. I don't care so much for the V'ger flyover, but I will admit to liking the Enterprise scene, you know, when they fly around it. I love the music. The music is what sells it for me so uh you know i guess it's from a time when we could actually stare at the screen for the entire four minutes instead of checking our phone you know that kind of thing
0: so they had road shows whatever that means japan still uh yeah. still promotes like road show of this movie which i, I don't i don't even know what they mean but
2: <laughs> um basically it's just traveling you know, the, the the company somebody travels with a film and goes from house to house and intros it and talks about it has q a's and uh, Quentin Tarantino does that with some of his films. He takes them on the road. He did that with um, what's the one he did? Hateful Eight. He he took a special 70 millimeter print of it around and did a road show to different theaters that were equipped to show 70 millimeter film. So cool. Yeah. If you're a, if you're a, if you're a hardcore cinephile, that's your thing. That's you know I, I'm not I'm not so hardcore that I got to chase him around the country trying to find a 70 millimeter theater, <laughs> but. <laughs>
0: No, I, um, I, I mentioned this when we did 2001, but I, I managed to see that in 70 millimeter in New York City. The one caveat being my friend with me had never seen the film before and absolutely hated it.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. No, they did 2001 a few years ago for its anniversary, for its 50th anniversary. And we went to go see a screening of that. So and that was the first time I seen it on the big screen in, oh, God, 25 years, 30 years, maybe.
0: So. How often do you catch um, films on film? Uh, you know, in, in Japan, everything's just digital projections. I remember the last film I saw on a film was Expendables 2, because that's the last time I saw a cigar burn on, on screen.
2: <laughs> you know, we used to have, we used to, there's a chain of theaters here in the States called Alamo Drafthouse. And the the guy who owns the theater chain is a huge movie buff. So he has actual prints, film prints of his favorite movies that he keeps in his library and his catalog. And that's what gets moved around to the different Alamo draft house locations when they do these repertory screenings of classic films. So all the Alamo draft houses that I've ever been to, I've been to maybe three or four of them. They all have the capability of projecting film. They're, they're set up for digital, but they can, they have a couple of theaters that are d- dedicated to film, you know, with actual projectionists and the whole smash. So if you go to an Alamo draft house for a repertory screening or one of these roadshow screenings, you know, that's where you'll see film on film. So.
1: I thought earlier you meant you'd literally watch Star Trek 2 at the Alamo. <laughs> That'd be cool.
2: I'm old enough that that's possible. Yeah, sure. Like,
1: yeah. I, was, I didn't know they played films at the Alamo.
2: <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, they, they run them right on the wall there, right? You know. You,
1: yeah. I mean, I can imagine them doing it with like something. It's really
2: great. Dave & Buster's like, brings food out and everything from right across the street there.
1: relevant to like history, but just doing it
0: with Star Trek seemed a bit wild. <laughs> you guys
2: well, I mean, have, have, you, have you ever been to San Antonio? <laughs>
0: I have. You got a screen in the, in the basement of the Alamo. Remember okay. the Alamo. I was going to say, I just
2: <laughs> it's it's funny. The first time I went to San, uh, San Antonio, we stayed at the hotel that's literally across the street. There's a historic hotel right across the street. And I'm lost. I don't know where we're going. It's dark. I'm trying to find the interest of the hotel. And I'm looking and I look right there. And literally, the Alamo is you know, not even a car length away. The, the outside wall of the Alamo is right there across the street from the hotel. So and then you right. walk in and it's just surrounded by all the modern buildings and shopping centers and Ripley's Believe It or Not, David Busters, and all this other kind of stuff. It's it's a surreal location.
0: Yeah, see, I in San Antonio, I I almost remember the Alamo, maybe what's Luke's help a minute ago. <laughs> I, I remember more I remember eating at a restaurant on like on I I guess on a canal or whatever. And mm-hmm.
2: that, oh yeah, the yeah. The river walk. Yeah, the we, river walk. Gonna,
0: yeah. I spent yeah. an afternoon there when I was like 13, so <laughs> that that's my, I, I don't remember the Alamo. I remember the uh, the restaurant.
2: Yeah, my kids don't remember the Alamo. They remember the pizza place and the ice cream parlor that's across the street from <laughs> it.
0: Okay, I guess that's how I rolled then. <laughs> there you go. Um, I guess we'll get wrapping up there. Are there any, any big points anyone felt like throwing out? No, I feel like I said my final word on Star Trek Nemesis. <laughs>
2: my final word until the next time i do one of these yeah, <laughs> yeah <right on. laughs> uh, i don't hate it i don't hate it it's not my all-time favorite but i don't hate it i can't hate any of them
0: no it's it's, it's a weird lovable movie in a way and it, there's enough good things i mean if you're into trek you're gonna like it if you're not into trek you're gonna be like what is this so <laughs> it, i think that's the problem like the yeah. cast had fun it feels like the cast had fun. I think the
2: cast had as much fun as they could get out of it. (laughs) I mean, I know that, like I said, there were, there were some issues behind the scenes on set, whatever, if you'll have it, but you know, they don't talk, they don't typically talk out of school. So Hmm. all we get is the rumors from the gossip rags, but um, I don't know. It's definitely a movie that appeals to hardcore fans versus the general audience, which is, you know, that's a fatal mistake (laughs) with a franchise like this.
0: So, um, how many how many star trek books have you have you penned at this point i mean or, or co-written at this point uh
2: let's see i have written 23 or 24 star trek novels or co-written um and, a, and then a handful of other ones that are not star trek um so yeah something like that 28 i was I've lost i don't i hate to say that i lost count i just can't remember the exact <laughs> Hey,
0: count. if you can last, lose count that's awesome right I mean no <laughs> it sounds
2: stupid it sounds like a humble brag and I hated that I, I just <laughs> I'm blanking on the number I, I make so, music
0: and I can't remember how many albums I put out so
2: <laughs> I want to say it's 20 20 23 or 24 the one that's coming out is 24 okay so.
1: I was looking through your list just now because I've read quite a few Star Trek novels not as many as Matt um, and I think I've read a couple of yours I wasn't sure but I've definitely read your 24 novel
2: okay <laughs> hopefully, okay hopefully you like that one so. yeah uh, Awkward if you didn't, but oh well. A I'll little, a little it.
1: after my Sigal phase, I went through a really big Jack Bauer phase. So,
2: <laughs> I I was a fan of that show from day one. No pun intended. Um, yeah. I watched it all the way through. Every stupid plot twist, every double yeah. cross, every mole, every you know traitor. Uh, uh, yeah, I watched the whole thing.
1: I very it's a show which I definitely loved when it was on, but I'm very hesitant to go back to.
2: I haven't revisited it since the um, when the mini series the mini yeah the mini series version the, the Live Another Day um, I, wa- I, I went back and watched all of them and okay. and then and then I watched some of them again when I was researching the book um, because the original plan was that was supposed to be my book was supposed to be set between day eight and Live Another Day um, like the other two 24 books. uh dave max and jim swells and then they they threw me a curveball after i'd submitted my outline and they said well we want you to do a prequel i'm like well okay now i gotta go look at younger jack bauer and figure out where i can mine ideas from so
0: yeah and uh what's the best place to go looking for your stuff uh amazon or do you have your own site or or what
2: most of my stuff is available, you know, through brick and mortar stores or Amazon or online, you know, booksellers um, or your local independent bookseller will definitely order something for you if it's not on the shelf. And
0: okay, um, you I, can I
2: was, go ahead. Oh, yeah. No, yeah as I was going to say datenmore.com dot com is where you can find me on the web. So
0: there we go. No, I just, um, you know, I talk to authors sometimes and I, I often find if I kind of reverse the question, I go, like, oh, but I got this, you know, my own site with Groovy with or Deals and, you know, yeah, support the independent bookstore. That's also Highly worth doing.
2: <laughs> I, I always try to push people that way because what it seems like nobody seems to know that, you know, just because you don't see it on the shelf doesn't mean they can't get it for you. You just walk up, walk up to the counter and ask them to order you a copy, you know, so.
0: I found, uh, and you know, in Japan, especially now it's, it's hard to find English books. I, I do my reading on Kindles these days. Right. But, um, I found when, when I do, used to go into bookstores, um, borders in America long gone now, but. Oh, yeah. One day I noticed that most of my books, I seem to be attracted to like covers that were like kind of brown orange. So mm-hmm. That was interesting. Like history books. I mean, are
2: you are, now? Are, are you there because you're you got a job there? Or uh, I mean, are you expats? What's the what's the what's your
0: yeah? I'm a pretty definitive expat at this point. I haven't been in I haven't stepped foot in the states since 2010.
2: Okay, that's fair. <laughs> no, I mean, I have another friend who's who's there because his wife works for the government, so she works for the DOD. And he's just like the the spouse that's tagging along on the accompanied tour. <laughs> it's a little oh, no. inversion. No, no I know. came
0: I came uh, teaching English and, and met my wife in not. Okay, so and then just
2: yeah. died to stay, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. After trying okay. states for uh, a little bit, but yeah, yeah. That's you know, cool. I'm. I, I'm the only not Japanese person in my family here now. <laughs> okay, my daughter's half Japanese, but... <laughs> Your daughter's born on the 4th of July. She's fully American. Yeah. yeah she, was born, <laughs> she was born in America on the 4th of July, but... Uh... <laughs> funny. But, yeah, she's, she's, she's doing the Japanese thing now. <laughs> hey, I'm basically doing the same thing as Matt, but I'm seven years earlier into the journey. <laughs> <laughs> um uh luke i guess tell them about our journeys where to find them what to do you can find this
1: podcast on twitter at mlsfs pod or also on facebook youtube apple podcast spotify anywhere where you can find podcasts you can find us search, just search matt and Luke sci-fi sanctuary if you've enjoyed this podcast you want to help us keep it online go to patreon.com slash podcastio podcast yes, where you can find the other podcasts
0: me and matt make all righty sounds good so how are we gonna so matt, what are
1: we gonna do after this recording i'm gonna take a whiz Make it so.
2: <laughs> this is like breakfast, right? You go get breakfast. What time is it over there?
1: Uh, it's
0: just coming up on midday, actually. Yeah, it's 11.30. Oh, so it's
2: lunchtime where you are. See? Yep. Mm.
0: It's yep. Like our, our job is weird and we don't get into lunch until 2.30. So,
2: yeah.
1: Okay. But it
0: means we could get the podcast before we go to work. So yep. That works out nice. When I, I
1: gymned before we podcast, so I'll have a shower after Matt's done.
0: <laughs> anyway, thanks so much for joining
1: us.
2: No, thanks for having me. I appreciate
0: it. Yeah, it's been groovy. So um, this one uh, actually is probably going to be out pretty quickly. Um, we did okay. a bunch of recording in July because we were busy for most of August, and, and we almost uh, let the tank empty. So this is going to oh, be okay. next week, I think. Well, just
2: shoot <laughs> me a link, and I'll I'll post it. So
0: I will do so. Thanks again. Well,
2: all right, y'all yeah, take care. Thanks uh, for having me live on. The prospect. You too. Back at you. <laughs>
0: Final Cut